0: You're listening to episode 55 of the Get In My Garden podcast. This is Aaron Moskowitz, and today we meet Sebring Frainer of Sebring Seeds. He covers a lot of interesting subjects, such as microdosing cannabis, the soil science behind cannabis growing, and some of the newest products related to this, the nutrient cycling advantage of living organic growing systems, the process of breeding high CBD cannabis strains, and how he developed his nonprofit called Sebring Seeds, which has been his vehicle to distribute over 40,000 high-CBD cannabis-strained seeds to patients around the world. Sebring tells us some of the reasons people are using CBD and how it helps the human nervous system, and what are the concerns related to contamination and testing now that Wall Street has their hand in this market. His nonprofit is located in Washington where cannabis is totally legal, so he shares the state of the cannabis market within the state. Then finally we talk more about the Farm Bill and considerations while growing for CBD or for hemp fibers. Follow the show at Get In My Garden on Instagram to see pictures of what we discuss here and to hear more about upcoming episodes. Also visit GetInMyGarden.com and make sure to sign up for the email list, which will include supplemental and special content or freebies, as well as articles or other interesting things I share with my close friends. Subscribe to the Get In My Garden podcast wherever you listen from and leave a positive review if you want to support the show. Also, share your favorite episodes with your friends on social media.
1: I'm Sebring Frainer of Sebring Seeds and Sebring CBD, and as of recently, also uh, the owner and proprietor of a community garden. So I got into, really, I've I've been growing stuff since I was young off and on, but I knew in my 20s when I went to college uh, and I started studying biology that I was far more interested in plants and in soil than I was in how the human body works. So when I was in college, well, all throughout my 20s, I got introduced multiple times to cannabis and did what most people do, which is take way too much uh, at one time. And it wasn't until uh, probably my late 20s uh, when I finally started to dose down to using it as medicine Mm -hmm. and noticed that when I used it as medicine in micro doses, I was getting the, the biphasic nature of cannabis where all of a sudden all the, the negative things I didn't like about smoking way too much were reversed. So it didn't make me want to go to sleep. It actually made me want to get up and go do stuff. And when I smoked too much, I didn't really want to be social with anybody. And then when I microdosed, I was actually quite social. It seemed to get me over my social anxiety quite well. In fact, better than almost anything else I've ever tried. Knowing that I was interested in plants and soil biology, I started growing for myself. Started out uh, in pure hydro because I'd heard that was the easiest. Went to deep water culture, went to soilless soil media, as well as hydro systems. Started reading about how you could get similar results with far more uh, leniency in your regiments by actually going organic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was kind of headed that way anyways. I got to a point where I was using organic amendments in soilless soil Mm -hmm. and getting much better results. Once I started going into the living soil stuff, everything clicked. Uh, I was able to apply a lot of the biology I learned in college and chemistry and biochemistry to the changes I was seeing. So I knew that if you added certain things to the soil you get certain responses from the plant and from the soil itself and so my background in biology started to allow me to get a more in-depth understanding of what i was doing it was at that point it kind of hit me like you're a biologist why did you go to anything other than straight to soil with microbes and macrobiology and but i i think a lot of people find that they're drawn towards What's simplest and what the market tells them they're supposed to be doing, and I'm guilty of that as well.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. I think everybody does that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's human nature. It's actually that understanding is one of the reasons why when I meet new growers today, I remind myself, "You started out in the same spot they are." I've met a lot of people that are that ask me, "You know, hey, can I just use Miracle Grow?" And I tell them, "Well, whoa, (laughs) you're going to get better results. You know, living organics and K and F and stuff like that. It's going to cost you less." In the long run, you're going to be a lot happier and it's going to be a lot less work. But if you're comfortable with the blue powder, okay, let's mix up some blue liquid and let's get you going, you know, get you started down the path I went down. I know where you're going to end up. I need to get you on that path and moving that direction. And the fastest way to do that is not to beat them with the organic stick, mm-hmm. it's get them into their comfort zone and then help them evolve. Do you think that's because it's just overwhelming? It can be, yes. I'd actually, I do think it's a little overwhelming because there is a quite a bit of stuff you need to understand. In the end, when you're finally doing it, you don't actually need to know a lot of that knowledge. But most individuals want to understand what's happening within the system. So for that part, yeah, it can absolutely be daunting. We all know there's very complex and complicated things going on between the plant soil and between the microbiology. And there's An infinite amount of information you could know. And I mean, we don't even fully, scientists don't even fully understand all the processes yet. We're still delving into that to figure it out, which you'd think plants and soil, right? It's amazing. It's been around forever. You'd think they'd have figured everything out. And the reality is we actually haven't. That's right. We haven't had the instrumentation to even be able to delve much farther than we have until recently. There are scientists out there that are Uh, delving in deep to really figure out what's going on. Part of the reason we're starting to see more microbiological agents being sold, stuff like mammoth pea, Mm -hmm. microbes in mammoth pea, they've always been. there. They're in my soil, they're in your soil, they're everywhere. They're just not concentrated. And it took scientists and researchers to figure out that they could complex multiple types of bacteria and yeast together to be able to produce something that would extract phosphorus from the soil in the mineral state and transition it into a form that was bioavailable to the plants, which is in effect
0: what it's doing. Their formula is, it's fed by sugar, right? Well, partially, partially by sugar. I haven't looked too much into it, but I thought there was like an activator or something.
1: I don't think there is an activator necessarily.
0: Oh, okay. They've
1: got it worked out to where it works in hydroponic systems as well as in soil. Whether there's simple sugars or complex sugars makes no difference. I believe the major food source for the complex is actually phosphate compounds. Gotcha. And so that's because that is its major food source as a, a complex. I mean, they use other stuff as well. They, they're using you know, oxygen and CO2 and you know, nitrogen, all the building blocks, carbon everything that life makes itself out of, but the, the major energy driver in that complex is phosphorus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's pulling a lot more of that out of the soil or out of the, out of the hydroponic system and turning it into a much more biologically available form of phosphate that the plants can take up quickly.
0: Gotcha. So when I was online, I was looking at different Facebook groups and I saw, I mean, there's of course the Korean natural farming groups and they're using a lot of, similar principles, right? So, but what is Grokashi?
1: My understanding is Grokashi and Bokashi are basically the same thing. And, you okay. know, in, in effect, what it is, is it is some kind of bran or grain that has been inoculated with fungal IMO mm-hmm. uh, or indigenous microorganisms. Because of that, you're in effect uh, dosing whatever you spread the Bokashi on with those fungal colonies. Because uh, the process is basically that you're collecting up fungus and bacteria from the native environment. You're giving it a much easier to process food source in in the application of either cooked rice or various grains can be used as well. It just needs to be something with simple carbohydrates in it. Mm-hmm. And by allowing the fungus and bacteria from the local environment to colonize that grain, uh, it's able to explode in its population number and its total size. Uh, You then take that and you use it. You kind of dilute it and then add it to your uh, bran or your bran and grain. And that allows it to multiply even farther. And then you can take that and you can add it to anything you want to decompose. You can add it to, and it'll help accelerate the explosion of the fungal population.
0: I thought people were using it right directly into their plants. I didn't really spend too much time looking at it yet.
1: They're using
0: it as a top dress, and some of them are even uh, including it into
1: the soil mix. So I've I've actually done each and every one of those. I've used it in compost to help speed up the compost because, in effect, you're inoculating it with a whole bunch of fungus, and you you need fungus. To break down the cellulose in your compost. Uh, fungus is one of the few things capable of actually breaking down cellulose mm-hmm. that I know of. There's only maybe one or two other things, and it's like super, super limited. Basically, if fungus can't survive in an environment, you might get lucky and there might be something else that can break down cellulose. But for the most part, it's just fungus. And so the fungus is capable of releasing all that cellulose into simpler forms that the plant can then take up, as well as breaking down the parts of the soil that nothing else seems to be able to break down. I've mixed it in with soil mixes. And what I found was that the soil mix itself, anything that was cellulose, so like the peat moss, the organic matter, all that, it helped break it down and release everything quicker, which can be good or bad depending on what your goals are. If you're trying to conserve your Peat moss purchases, then it's maybe not. <laughs> but it has its advantages. It's the reason most people end up uh, top dressing with a little bit of bokashi along with whatever nutrient amendments they're going to put in there because it, it speeds that nutrient release up. I see. Uh, by processing it faster on top of the soil.
0: And so, I mean, online in the Facebook group, at least, it is like completely filled with cannabis people. It's not geared towards that. It just happens to be that it's no. very, very yeah. helpful, right? From my understanding,
1: every single thing that you can use on cannabis, you can use on every other plant that I know of, for the most part. The exceptions being plants that don't follow the standard rules. There's some plants out there that need you know, more of one thing or more of another because they've adapted to certain soil situations like increased salinity or mm-hmm. drought or whatever, where you wouldn't necessarily treat them the same. But otherwise you can use KNF or living organics in the the same format, the same formulas on all living plants. So if you want your pear tree to just absolutely go nuts and thrive, you would treat it the same way somebody would a cannabis plant. I think the reason you get so many cannabis enthusiasts, frankly, all the living organics as well as the KNF stuff is because a lot of those Allow you to speed up the cycling process of decomposition of nutrients and allow them to be more available to the plant. And for a community that drives their plants as hard as they do and put so much pressure on them, they pretty much have to have a system in place where nutrient processing cycles much, much faster. So somebody that was going to do high production gardening, uh, like producing their own food in their backyard, Mm-hmm. I would suggest KNF and living organics to them just like I would a cannabis producer because they're going to need those that increase nutrient cycling.
0: But doesn't it also have something to do with I mean the soil balance as far as preventing some sort of pests or like a parasitic nematode or something? It does, yeah. We
1: we've, we've kind of gotten to a point where a living organic growing system is multifaceted. It is not just using, you know, producing your own fertilizers through Korean natural farming. It's not just creating your own compost and running your own uh, worm farm, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although a worm farm is kind of a misnomer since it's basically just a bunch of worms in compost. Right. (laughs) What most of us do, I feed a compost pile anymore. I feed a worm bin, but the reality is the only difference between the two is one's got worms and one doesn't. Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that the worm bin process, because you do have living creatures in there, turning it all the time for you. It's just why I highly suggest people to just toss a ton of worms in with your compost and turn it into a worm bin. It usually processes the same inputs at about three to four times the speed. So again, if you're doing uh, high volume or if you need fast turnover of nutrients, that's the way to go. Organic now is multifaceted in the way that you even have to include stuff like IPM, uh, which I love to see that more and more, Farmers and home growers are starting to go towards using living organisms to battle other living organisms. So instead of grabbing for the the bottle of whatever the fad spray is this month, they're calling up the insectary and getting predator mites or getting lace wings or something like that to combat whatever it is they're dealing with. And
0: Yeah, that seems very popular.
1: If they're dealing with botrytis or PM or something like that, there's other solutions where you're not necessarily grabbing for the stuff that was produced by the chemical fertilizer industry. Uh, instead, you're grabbing something that was derived from natural organic ingredients. You're using stuff like rosemary oil and citrus oils, stuff like that, to to change the environment that these things are trying. The you know the funguses are trying mm-hmm. to grow on to kill them off. Basically, making it inhospitable for them, but still a fundamentally good environment for the plant to grow in. I think we're going to have a lot more discoveries and we're getting to a system where so many people are going that direction that we're going to start seeing a lot more insectaries start up.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Chemical and pesticide factories starting to shut
0: down, which I is really so. what we do need to see. Can you speak a little bit to the cost of it all because I think that at least in small scales people aren't really motivated as much as by costs, yeah. but as it gets bigger. Part of the reason I went to using
1: organic and, and living solutions for pest management was because even though initially if I compare the cost of what it costs me to get living creatures to me safely and, and healthy, which can be a pretty penny, uh, usually with shipping it's somewhere around 40 to $60 to get something living shipped to you in a large enough quantity, uh, which seems like a lot and it is. What I was seeing was that when I took into consideration the reduction in vigor of all my plants, both my vegetable plants, my fruit trees, and my cannabis plants, from spraying them with the chemicals, uh, the amount that I was losing on that end, he took that into account along with comparing the prices. Then all of a sudden, the the living biological answer beat out the chemical one every time Mm -hmm. because a lot of those chemicals, even though they're not supposed to have a negative effect on your plant, they do. They absolutely do. To be able to eradicate whatever the pest is, you have to spray enough of it that not only are you going through quite a bit more of it than what people normally think they're going to for a much longer period of time, but then you're also losing product on the back end, whether it be vegetables or cannabis. Mm -hmm. When you crunch all the numbers in the long term, it ends up being a much cheaper and better system to just go with the, the living answer.
0: Well, and then also the potential of destroying some of the soil food web. I don't know if that's...
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Consideration.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it seems like that's something that's harder to quantify. But if you know, you've know messed it up now, it's going to take a lot more effort later.
1: It's actually part of why I attribute the long-term decline in the health of the plants and the, the vigor of the plants is you are, the plant and its microbial community are so interlinked at such an intimate level. A big part of the reason you do end up losing vigor in the plant is less because you've damaged the plant and more because you've killed off all the the soil biology.
0: Mm -hmm. And then I've I've seen a lot of pictures, not as much on the cannabis side, because I'm not looking too closely probably, but uh, at least with fruits and vegetables, absolutely insane growth. So, I mean, that's kind of, I'm wondering if that's true for cannabis too. I mean, compared to hydroponics when they can you know pump the nutrients into it and bulk everything up, probably not like that. From what I've seen, and I've I've seen a a lot of cannabis, both home grows as
1: well as uh, field grows, indoor and outdoor, large and small scale. And from what I've seen time and time again, if a person can get the living organic system dialed in, so in other words, you've got all the parts of it. And it's all working in unison together and, and synergistically. You can produce the same or slightly better quality with organics compared to hydroponics. The major difference I have noticed between the two actually isn't in the implementation of growing. It's in the addition of CO2. Oh, okay. A lot of the hydro guys, the reason they're pumping out bigger numbers isn't because of the hydroponic nutrients, because uh, they're also pumping in CO2. And most of the organic growers I've seen that are inside facilities that are also amping up the CO2 levels in the rooms are getting similar or better results from organic as well.
0: Wow. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And then your own business, are you growing or are you just marketing products?
1: I am, uh, I'll am. i explain a little bit what Sebring Seeds is. In essence, uh, I started out, Making a lot of seeds and experimenting with breeding probably, well, I, I started doing that almost immediately after I started growing, to be honest. I got a couple strains sent to me from over in Europe. Uh, I got three or four strains handed to me from friends when I went and begged them for them. And Thank you guys. Still today, I appreciate you gave me those because they gave me solid genetics. Awesome. Uh, but the stuff that I was getting from Europe, to be honest, was leaving me a lot disappointed. Huh. Um, and so one of the first things I did is I took one of the the plants that I really, really liked that a buddy gave me and I crossed it to the two other ones that another buddy gave me that I liked and started breeding. We also crossed it to to the genetics that we brought over from Europe. And what we ended up figuring out was when you've got a bad strain and a great strain and you cross them, you get a horrible strain. Yeah. <laughs> You really need to have two good strains if you're going to breed something that it's improved over the first two. And it is absolutely possible to breed two things together and end up with something that was worse than either parent. I've done it. But that started to get me down the rabbit hole of, of breeding and genetics. And then pretty early on, I started getting interested in the, the CBD stuff and, and growing high CBD varietals. Uh, I was still doing a lot of uh, high THC ones for myself. But I I saw the value in it. I started to see uh, from talking to ver- various patient groups. I knew that it actually was having an impact. It wasn't, you know, in people's imagination. Mm-hmm. CBD actually did have a monumental health impact if it was one of those things that would help the ailment that you had. So there there are absolutely legitimate, a lot in fact, of legitimate ailments out there that are helped by CBD. Oh, for sure. That gave me more motivation to work with the plant, uh, with the high CBD plants and start to breed stuff. At the same time, I was working on crossing and growing and breeding a lot of high THC stuff. I was also in the background working on some CBD varietals, uh, which back then were actually almost impossible to get a hold of. The one that I was working on, I was only able to figure out uh, where to even start with a high CBD varietal because at the time I was able to figure out that there was a rumored phenotype of canatonic called the purple pheno that some people had tested and had shown to be high CBD. Cool. And so I immediately bought seeds, a whole bunch of them, planted out, I think, 12 different seeds. And one of them I got lucky on, and it was the purple pheno. Actually, uh, I ended up taking a clone of that one while we were busy smoking it and giving ourselves headaches because we couldn't get high off it, which told <laughs> me definitively that I had the right one. Because you got to test it. Yeah. I was also busy feminizing the the clone that I'd made so that I could make more seeds. Wow. Um, and I actually I worked on that one for a long time, and then some of the THC ones as well. And during that whole that whole period of a little over a decade. I was also honing my living organic skills and making it habitual and figuring out that if I was willing to put in a you know a lot of work up front but not an extreme amount into organics and setting the systems up right that I could basically just water and then add a top dress every 4 to 6 months and then just water again and that's you know and then I could focus on the plants not constantly having to figure out did I make a mistake in my dosing today or are the plants needing more of one chemical or another? With organics, you get to leave all of that up to the plant and the plant figures out on its own because that's what it's always done, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it doesn't, the plant doesn't need micromanage to produce at its highest level. What it needs is a low stress environment and as much light as it can get without having too much.
0: In what space are you growing them? Is it inside of a hoop house or something or just outdoors?
1: I actually grow them in and outdoors. So every, uh, every summer I do a big outdoor grow. Well, not big by Washington scale, but I usually do 15 to 20 plants where I'll work on different breeding projects. Uh, And then I've usually got a whole bunch going indoors as well.
0: Your CBD product. Are you supplementing it with other people that you're, you know, who are growing? No. So I, Initially, I looked at doing a, in fact, there's, cause a little
1: bit of a backstory to the CBD comfort cream, which is, it's in effect, it's a transdermal CBD lotion uh, or body butter. I had a family member who had endometriosis, which is basically cystic growth in the abdomen. They're very, very painful, mm-hmm. and she was on a bunch of different products. Most of them were opioids that the doctors were trying to prescribe her, and she, to be honest, wasn't really taking the pain meds. Um, not that I blame her. Yeah, opioids shouldn't be the only option for anybody. Um, you're you're basically handing them an addiction, as we know all too well now. So I was trying to develop something that would allow her to use it easily that she would be able to carry around in her purse. She's got quite a few allergies, so it had to be hypoallergenic. It was a family member, so I needed to make sure that whatever I was handing her was so safe that I wasn't going to have to worry about that part of her health either. That It would be as safe as humanly possible. And the big one was is that it, it would be usable in a way where it would Absorb in quickly because she's a a mother of three boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, It needed to work very quickly so that she could get back to raising her kids, preferably pain free. So it needed to be really effective. And I actually spent about two years doing research and experimenting with different formulations until I settled on the one I've got now. I tested it out and I tested it out on five or six friends. And then only after I'd found that it worked quite well on a whole bunch of different pains that I had, as well as friends and relatives had. At that point, I felt confident that it was good enough to send her some and see how it worked. So I did, and I actually waited with great anticipation for two weeks. I was very anxious until I finally heard back. And the message that I got was very simple. It was just, it works. That's awesome. And at that point, I knew that if it worked for her, And she had probably the most problematic and untreatable pain of anybody that I've met in a very long time. Uh, If it worked on her, I didn't see any reason why it wouldn't work on other people. Um, And I got such a good reception from the friends and family that used it where they were coming back to me going, I've got arthritis and this is really, really helping me. Can you make me some more? Uh, About my third batch, I decided, you know what? I need to start offering this up to the public because I could be helping a lot more people. I set it up so the the pricing on it is affordable. What we charge is the cost of ingredients and the labor. And that's it. That's all we charge. That's so good. There's really no profit in it for us beyond the charging for the labor itself.
0: That's interesting. How is it being in Washington with a huge market? We actually haven't been doing any
1: advertising. I've been so busy with doing the seed thing Which So the seed thing, we'll go into that a little bit. Yeah. The seed thing, Sebring Seeds, is where we give seeds away. All the ones we give away have medicinal value. Uh, We try to provide ones with high CBD or at least some CBD for patients, and we try to have a wide variety if we can. Most of them, I actually grow the mother plants and seed them out myself. They're ones various strains I've been working on for a couple years now. Uh, We have both auto and photo period. Most of the ones that we put out, we try to make them feminized Mm -hmm. so that patients can plant it like a tomato and grow it out. And when it's done, they can harvest it and they've got their medicine.
0: Now, how does that work? I know a little bit about how you feminize them, but like if you have the feminized seeds, how often will they not turn out that way? The
1: only time they will not turn out that way is if there was a cross-contamination of male pollen. Okay. That is the only way. The community has come to the conclusion finally, and the correct one, that when you get a male seed in a feminized strain, that contamination was what caused it. It wasn't some genetic fluke. Okay. Evolutionary genetics and advanced genetics, and that's just not how biology works. Right. <laughs> suddenly decide to get a Y chromosome <laughs> when you thought it was going to have two X's. It doesn't just mysteriously appear. There's a lot of very complex biological reactions that go on to create that that X chromosome. And it doesn't just happen uh, mysteriously because a breeder said, sorry. So yeah, all of our feminized ones will always be feminized. We don't do Every single thing that I can possibly think of to help make absolutely sure that all the feminized seeds are only feminized, but we do go to great lengths Mm -hmm. uh, and within reason. So like I know you can install double or triple HEPA filters between breeding rooms and stuff like that. I'm not doing any of that. That's an expense that I can't afford, yeah. especially since I'm giving seeds away. You
0: said that you, when you first were involved, you got that one strain out of the first batch of seeds and you were smoking and smoking and smoking and not getting high. So people are growing it. And then are they cooking with the... They're making edibles out of it. They're
1: making CBD concentrates. Okay. Which are either uh, liquids or waxes or like wax-like. They're doing basically everything, and, when they, and they can smoke it. Keep in mind, when I said that we smoked a whole bunch of it, I'm talking, we probably smoked three grams uh-huh. <laughs> uh, of it. And I mean, if you smoke three grams of anything, you're probably going to give yourself a headache just from oxygen deprivation. For sure. So I actually attribute the headache I got from the oxygen deprivation of sitting there and hucking down three grams worth of flour as quick as I could. Like, I did that to myself.
0: I understand that. There are people that do smoke it. Like, if you're doing, like, a normal bowl of, like, high CBD cannabis, mm-hmm. is that going to have the the painkilling effects that someone needs? It will, actually. The only major difference between the
1: different ways of getting it into your body is usually the duration uh, that it affects you. It's the major one.
0: Right, okay.
1: If you smoke CBD, you're going to have a much quicker onset and much quicker offset. Um, If you're going to uh, ingest it, then it's going to last for quite a bit longer because it's your, your body's absorbing it over a much longer period of time.
0: I mean, it is so hyped up. I'm not in a state where it's legal, but it's just everywhere. And I think that people who are just looking at it through the, you know, wall street has their hands in it now. And yeah, I'm concerned about the toxins that would be in the products that those companies are producing. But do people use it for psychological problems or emotional pain? Yeah, they do. I've actually met quite a few people that use it
1: for a variety of different stuff. Uh, anxiety is a big one. I myself, in fact, the stuff that I use, I concentrate CBD and THC down and then I, I've found that about a one-to-one ratio for me in a microdose actually does wonders for my anxiety. I've given similar ratio concentrates to other people that had major depressive uh, issues and had anxiety related to that. They actually were finding that, that it was helping them as well. So yeah, CBD can affect the your nervous system in a psychological way. It can affect your pain all over your body and in a positive way. Very cool. It absolutely works.
0: Oh yeah. I think if someone on my show was telling me that he thinks it's going to be put in everything. I mean, literally, we're moving in the direction that is so perfect it for him. It will. It will. It absolutely will. In fact, I, I was
1: predicting that a couple of years ago when I was starting to see all the initial hype coming up around it. I can remember back not too many years ago when, well, Superfood, right? Yeah. They put it in every, literally everything. I think a few years ago, flaxseed or flaxseed meal or flaxseed oil was the big hyped up thing. And while flaxseed is really good for you, so I'm, I'm not going to say it was completely hyped, but they were adding it into to everything you could imagine with advertisements about its impact on your health and its effects way beyond what was actually possible. Like it's not going to cure you of cancer. CBD, just, just taking a pill of CBD every day or, or having it in your... Uh, your milk isn 't going to cure cancer either. There, it, like all things the uh, the dose and the frequency matter. you can 't just you know toss it in your cereal and you 're good to go that it, it, 's not how this stuff works, mm-hmm. but it won 't stop the mass marketing companies and uh, all the food production companies from slapping it at everything. I am one hundred percent sure we 're going to have cbd water we 're going to have CBD gum they're going to start adding cbd oil to your milk. I mean, you name it any anything they can get water soluble cbd isolate or the fat based cbd into stuff, you're going to start seeing full spectrum on everything. Just That's absolutely interesting. everything. It's almost hysterical because they're absolutely not taking ghosts into account on any of it.
0: That's so weird. I personally just have experience, you know, being a stoner for most of my 20s and then I don't have any physical ailments, so I never had any reason to seek out CBD oil. And then I you know, know people, of course, who have used it, who are older, who've had huge benefits. I kind of think that we're moving towards putting CBD in everything, but also eventually microdosing the whole world with maybe NTHC. I don't really know, but yeah, that might be the we solution. We might be headed there too, yeah. Which I, would be like a kind of a full circle because earlier humans were always taking substances like that.
1: Yeah, well- Until, what, 100 years or so ago? All of this stuff was normal. Crack open a history book.
0: For sure. We were
1: using all this stuff during the forming of our country. Everything from eating weird mushrooms in the forest because we were starving all the way to guzzling down some cannabis syrup with a little morphine in it to help numb the pain from poisoning ourselves. Right. like It was just another tool in the toolbox of mankind. It wasn't until we decided to to make it illegal in a racist drug war uh, Mm -hmm. designed to to put colored people in jail and to suppress them. All of a sudden, now it's bad. Only I think people realize that the whole drug war thing was, it's just a failure.
0: For sure. All it
1: did was hurt people. It, It hurt the people behind the drug war. It hurt the people in front of the drug war. It just hurt everybody.
0: Well, and then back in the day, like in the early days of this country where people were growing hemp, was that a psychoactive hemp or was it that's that's kind of confusing for people too and also it, does the it hemp would pill... it would have been a non-psychoactive hemp so that would mean no cbd also it would have cbd
1: in it though okay the thing with the the cbd we do consider it to be non-psychoactive uh, however there are studies that have also shown that somebody who takes cbd does feel a very slight increase in general Mm well-being like their their mood and their their uh, emotional state they tend to be slightly more or they state that they're slightly more in a better mood and of a a better feeling
0: probably because they've just been unburdened from their pain
1: (laughs) and that wouldn't be a bad hypothesis it really wouldn't there's probably something to that Mm -hmm. i know i feel better when i'm not in pain
0: (laughs) yeah in new mexico we are kind of like a very rural state and lots of agricultural things going on. There are a lot of new hemp growers and I think they're growing it only for CBD oil. So is that kind of the purpose of the farm bill? I, I mean, I'm this is just for someone who doesn't know anything about it.
1: Yeah. I, I believe the farm bill's intent was specifically to uh, open up farmers to the ability to legally grow cannabis of any variety that wasn't considered psychoactive. So it it had to have incredibly low levels of THC to the point where there was no chance that it would get you high. Even if you concentrated it, it still wouldn't get you high. Mm -hmm. I think the grand scheme of that was that they wanted to have farmers uh, be allowed to grow both seed as well as hemp fiber plants and then CBD as well. I don't want to say that CBD wasn't prime driver of that because it was, but I think that they did it in general in big part to alleviate some of the pain that the Midwest is feeling over, frankly, a lot of the tariff situation that's been going on.
0: Mm-hmm. It is the perfect American you can't crop. You sell
1: your soybeans to China, which all those orders got dropped. You need to do something next year that's going to bring money in. With hemp being legalized. And then even when they were pushing the bill, they were seeing this as a uh, an option uh, for how they were going to write themselves back onto their feet again. So I think there were a lot of farmers that wouldn't traditionally have pushed for hemp that did because they were looking for a way out. Wow. Sometimes good things come out of bad situations.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I, I'd love to get a visit or a tour in, in the Midwest to see some gigantic fields of cannabis. But also, I'm kind of curious, so having legalized in Washington way before, you know, what, like four or five years ago? Yeah. How does that affect what's going on there?
1: We've actually been uh, seeing a lot of hemp growers in general for quite some time. They rushed in uh, like most states did. And from from what I've heard, uh, a lot of them are doing high CBD cannabis for extraction for biomass. There are, however, some up here that are doing it for seed and some that are doing it for fiber. So you are getting a diversity uh, within the industry. And then, of course, with recreational being legal up here as well, one of the things we've seen, in fact, I've I've seen it in quite a few states and it's a little bit depressing. My one word of warning is anybody who is looking at going medical, uh, know that your state and the people that own the dispensaries are going to immediately push for recreational because they're greedy. And in the process, they're going to destroy the medical side of it. They'll have it to the point where you can't even find clean medicine within a year or two. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually where Washington is now. So okay. Washington had an amazing medical program. They brought in recreational. Recreational, just more or less smothered medical uh, within the first year or two.
0: And when you say it's the crops are dirty because they're mass producing them with chemicals or... So they're not using the chemicals that the state does test for, but
1: the problem is the state doesn't test for a lot of the stuff they really need to, like testing to see whether or not there's powdery mildew, testing to see whether or not there's botrytis. And specifically, they need to be testing those things on the shelf. So they need to be walking in and taking product off the shelf and testing those in addition to testing the stuff that's coming off the farm because unfortunately, there's a lot that can happen between those two points and it is happening, unfortunately. And that is actually a big part of what I attribute, the fact that you can't really get safe medicine in Washington, not with uh, every purchase. It's a crapshoot. That's horrible. One of the companies up here started doing their own independent testing not too long ago. In fact, I think it's uh, Ike's which is a pretty big dispensary, they started doing their own independent testing of joints that they were carrying. And they found that something like 80% of the joints that they pulled apart and tested had some kind of fungal contaminant in them. That's scary.
0: No kidding. Uh,
1: Especially when you're talking about friends and relatives, elderly people, people that are immunocompromised that are going in to try to get their medicine. And a large part of it Has fungal issues. These are individuals who can't afford that. That's
0: exactly why
1: I frame this whole thing as a, you know, a devastating destruction of the medical side of it up here. My one big warning to everybody in other states is: if you do go to medical and then recreational, do everything in your power to make absolutely sure that nothing is left to chance, and it is written in stone in the law that medical will continue to meet medical requirements in order to have it be safe for immunocompromised people. Uh, Washington did absolutely did not do that. They fell down on it hard. That's really sad. Yeah. And the medical patients have suffered. In fact, I was growing THC variants for a while when I first got up here. And I went back to growing and uh, breeding and developing CBD variants, uh, high CBD ones, specifically because my own family members were complaining that they couldn't find clean medicine. And I went to go research it and inspect it myself. And being a grower of well over a decade, I was buying stuff on the shelf, taking it outside, breaking it open, and basically calling them up and going, I'm growing for you now. Like, that's it. Uh Like, I can't find clean medicine for you. I'm going to grow it for you instead.
0: But I mean, before it was, when it was just medical, I mean, are you sure it was that much safer? I saw a lot of the product that was
1: coming out of the the medical dispensaries and it absolutely was. Okay. It's bad enough up here that I've actually had friends that are still, occasionally they'll go to the dispensary and, and pick up some high CBD product. And I've had a few of them that have actually brought me bud that they broke open and they're showing it to me. And it is just gobbed up inside with this huge wad of botrytis in this bud that they're holding. And they're, they're holding the receipt and they're holding the package. And I'm looking at them going, well, you know, I offer free seeds to anybody that wants them as long as I've got them in stock. How about I teach you how to grow a high CBD auto? will get you going down that path so you're self-sustainable and you don't have to rely on greedy industry leaders who bought their way in uh, to a monopoly gold mine.
0: I know how the culture is in Washington. I'm not shocked at all because, I mean, I, for one, am kind of, it's great to make a business and make money, but in Washington, it's just so corporate. It's so focused on that.
1: I think all the listeners can agree there's a big difference between making enough money as a company to pay your bills, making money at the expense of the health of patients. And I I think that's really where the problem exists.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like more organizations can exist in Washington, at least to maybe there's a huge opportunity there for someone who's really focused on it to, you know, go and.
1: Oh, there absolutely is. Yeah. If, yeah. If there was one company that started up that, truly focused solely on C, you know high cbd medicines and that that was their niche and they provided a broad range of products and, and they provided them with an absolute guarantee that they were safe and they were publishing both online uh, and providing the stores with testing information proving that their products that were on the shelves were safe if some company was willing to go to that extent, I absolutely agree that there would be a landslide of money coming their way from patients that are desperate for what they know is clean medicine. Because I think a lot of the patients up in Washington at this point just don't trust the dispensaries at all.
0: Wow. And then also on the other side of that, there's got to be a huge opportunity for like someone who is able to test and randomly test and then publish the results of oh, that. Yeah. And then you know, maybe provide some sort of like the non-GMO project. They put a thing on people's labeling. So I'd like
1: to see the state of Washington do it. But the truth is, as we know, money buys laws. uh, And Washington is not immune from that. I think
0: Washington might be the capital of that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, unfortunately, with Amazon and the history of the corporations.
1: I will say if there was a company up here, what you described is definitely needed. If there was a company up here, Whose sole purpose was to charge the producers of the different cannabis products to go in and randomly sample and then, you know, like on a monthly basis and then update a, a publicly viewable database and a stamp of approval from that company. I think they would probably thrive up here. Um, as long as they were able to get the word out and, and earn credibility with, uh, customers, I think there's absolutely an opportunity to be had there. Wow. I don't know of anyone that exists right now, though.
0: Really interesting.
1: But I am on the ground, and I and I do hear a lot from patients. Still today, I've been hearing it for years, that they just don't trust the dispensaries. And it is because every single time any news comes out, which is, seems to be about every six months, it's one more report about how even more of the cannabis sector in Washington is putting out product that's not safe.
0: Where's that news coming out? Are you talking about like actual news in on the TV that like people? Oh, yeah. I view local news as...
1: Yeah, I'm talking like uh, the Seattle Stranger. There's uh, oh, okay. quite a bit of them. There is a good amount of the activists up here in Washington that are frankly spending their own money and investing a lot of time and data crunching into figuring out what's going on within the system. Um, And it's primarily those watchdogs that are revealing a lot of this stuff.
0: Gotcha. Wow. Well, that's very, very interesting.
1: It seems to keep coming out at a pretty steady frequency, which is scary.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: If you had one scare, that might be coincidence. Uh, but I think the state of Washington's at a point where we're way beyond coincidence. And we're to the point of just flat-out negligence by... liquor control board, who's in charge of regulating the industry up here.
0: Wow. Anybody growing cannabis or having a small garden that's natural in their yard, they're helping, you know, they're, they are absolutely, you know, they are sequestering carbon actually. And they also are preventing the other food miles and uh, maybe they're entertaining themselves more locally. All of it, it's all related. And I think also we'll hate each other a lot less the people who are so divided right now. We were all farming just a few years ago, you know. Well, a few uh, centuries ago, we all had to.
1: I think we're not too far off from the kind of resurgence that happened around the Great Depression uh, back in the 30s, where communities are struggling enough that they're literally forced to come together in order to survive at the same quality of, of living that they had before. Mm-hmm. I don't view that as a bad thing. I, I think. Uh, again even though it's not a good thing that we're going to have to to suffer through it it's going to produce positive results and i think it they'll end up producing long term positive results
0: yeah i agree i mean in washington my experience every time i go is that like i i left in 2005 and then every time i'd go back it seems so much more futuristic and yeah compared to new mexico which is practically unchanging yeah. I mean, on one hand you've got the people who they are very intelligent, they do believe the science, but the culture doesn't really reflect that. You know, like the way people lead their their lives, like they want the drone to deliver the shit from Amazon in 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's a very consumptive culture.
1: I think that is part of what is necessary in order to act as a catalyst for The individuals like us that know that it needs to be a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think that really is true. So I was seeing kind of where we were headed four or five years ago as a society. And even three years ago, I really felt it strongly. But it was only about a year and a half ago that I started putting a lot of of work and effort into, into actually doing genetic preservation runs, basically recruiting a whole lot of people to help me reproduce different plant genetics so that we wouldn't lose them over time. Great. And then that ended up resulting in me discussing with the medical community a lot more what their plant needs were, um, which I realized very quickly that there wasn't nearly enough interest in providing those communities with the genetics that they needed. There was a huge community clamoring for products that fit their needs. But nobody really keying in and fulfilling those needs. And that's actually what ended up resulting in me doing Ring Seed. So cool. Uh, and that was the motivation behind it, that if uh, the corporations that were investing all this money into seed banks and breeders and everything else, if they couldn't be bothered to help this community of patients, somebody had to. And I'm that somebody, and so that's what I that what so I started awesome. doing is I started working on various CB high CBD strains, bred out a whole bunch of seed mothers, made seed, and then started up the website and started
0: giving it away. So you're giving it away, but how much? What is your capacity? You still have to make a living for yourself, right? I still work a nine to five job like everybody else. Okay, it's not in the cannabis
1: industry. It's just your you know your average Joe day job, uh, and then when I get off work, I immediately go into the grow room and start working on the plants uh, if they need it anyways. More or less constantly cycling seed runs. Wow! Uh, Every single plant in my grow is a seed mother, unless it's one that I'm testing out to see whether or not it's valuable as a, a medicinal crop for patients. If I grow out a seed of a new strain or something and it just doesn't perform well at all, or the CBD ratio is completely all over the place, it has no vigor, something like that, then I'll end up killing it off. So because that does happen frequently enough, I, what I do is when I get new genetics in, I grow them for one run without seeding them out at all. I treat them like garbage. I'm negligent towards them. I'm basically stress testing them to see whether or not they can cope with the kind of mistakes that new growers do. I want to see whether or not the genetics are strong enough to withstand what they've got coming. And then if they are, uh, then I take more of those seeds and then I run them on the indoor garden where I baby them and everything is perfect all the time. Get them as big as I can and seed them out to make seed mothers. And then every seed I get gets packaged up and, and sent out. I think I ended up giving out about forty thousand seeds. Amazing. Up to about three months ago. Uh, and then in the last three months or so, I've started uh, recruiting, uh, pushing for donations. i'll I'll frame it honestly. I've been pushing other breeders for donations. Some of them have actually come through, which I really appreciate. And so quite a few of the strains that we've been offering up for free on the website uh, recently. Are actually bred by other people. And I'll continue as I go forward, I'll continue to, gotcha. to breed out the stuff I'm working on and offer all those up for free, as well as recruiting breeders. Or if other people have just made seed and they're looking for somewhere to get rid of it, you know, so that it'll go to a good cause, uh, I'm acting as a conduit for that as well.
0: Awesome. I would definitely encourage people who are listening to get on your website, and then you do have a oh yeah donation button, uh, right? A
1: donation thing up there. The
0: other thing we do is we do because I was so frustrated with
1: what I was seeing coming out of the seed banks as far as uh, no testing data on strains that were supposedly high CBD. I'd grow them out, and there was no CBD at all. So when I started doing mine, oh my god! One of the things I do on that first run, even though I abuse them on that first run, when they get done, I send them in for testing. And then usually when I do them for the seed mother run as well, I send them in for testing again. So I always put the most recent testing up on the website along with the strain so that the buyers, the patients know exactly what it is that the parent was before I make them, yeah.
0: That's so cool.
1: They know if it says it's a 10 to 1 ratio, they're getting a 10 to 1 ratio. That's awesome. I actually have one strain right now where I got varied results coming back from the lab. On one of them, it said that it was a 10 to 1 ratio for CBD. And on another test for the same genetics, it said that it was a 5 to 1 ratio. Hmm. I put a disclaimer right on the website for that seed strain telling people that there was some variation in the CBD levels and that breeding would continue on this, but that they should know that if they're taking and growing these seeds.
0: Gotcha. It seems like true. I'm
1: acting as a, an optimal model for the seed bank and breeder industry.
0: Well, I understand that. That's awesome. I mean, but as, as far as like, how do you get them to people like who are across the country? Do you ship them to people? I do worldwide. I hope that they'll send you something. To cover the shipping, at least. Well,
1: so what I do is, uh, to get the free seeds, you have to pay shipping. And I've got that calculated into the website already.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Because
1: I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy. And not too long ago, I actually was getting paid to, to build websites and whatnot. The websites that I've got up, me and a buddy actually did build those. I basically control everything on those on the back end. So we've got them set up so that no matter where you are in the world, you automatically get charged the appropriate postal cost. And so as long as a patient's willing to cover that, we'll send them free seeds. We cover the packaging, the seed case, the envelopes, all that other stuff. They just have to cover the shipping cost.
0: What an awesome idea. Yeah. That's so cool. Why don't you, I guess, repeat your website so that if anybody needs your seeds or wants your seeds, oh absolutely. So they can reach
1: you. Yep. Seabringseeds.com. The CBD cream. Uh, for pain or inflammation is at sebringcbd.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge. I hope you enjoyed the interview. My goal is that you are inspired to continue your learning, your hobbies, your projects, and your businesses related to natural farming, hydro and aquaponics, bees and pollinator insects, fungi and mycology, soil and the soil food web, microbes, Plants and however you are involved in entertaining yourself in a way that benefits the earth and our future. Be an ambassador for the fungi and for the bees. Follow the show at GetInMyGarden on Instagram to see pictures of what we discuss here and to hear about upcoming episodes. Also visit getinmygarden.com and make sure to sign up for the email list, which will soon include supplemental and special content or freebies from our guests, as well as articles and other interesting things I share with my friends. Subscribe to the Get In My Garden podcast, wherever you listen from, and leave a positive review if you want to support the show. Also, share your favorite episodes on social media and with your friends.